This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. MLB's official website has its list of top 100 players, and there are the Mets with five of the best 68. DeGrom at number seven, Scherzer at 12. Marte, 14, Alonzo, 62, Lindor, 68, Hike. They have the fancy five-star food, but do they have the plates and the napkins and the forks and the knives? That is to say, do they also have the other necessary items on hand to enjoy this picnic? Do they have the bench players, the bullpen, the three through five guys in the rotation? As the Magic 8-Ball sometimes says, signs point to yes. And we'll get to that and some other stuff. As we get to the Mets in the Morning podcast. Mets in the morning. Mets in the morning. Oh, yeah. Mets in the morning. Gonna tell you what the Mets are doing while coffee is brewing now. Here's Josh Lewin. Don't buy a chandelier unless you've got a ceiling, a wise man once said. If you have nothing from which to hang the fancy frou-frou, why did you buy the fancy frou-frou? Josh Lewin with you, pondering that ponderable. I think the Angels are the team that has always made that exact mistake, right? That They brought in Josh Hamilton and Albert Pujols years ago, but surrounded those guys with abject mediocrity, so they finished with 75 or 80 wins instead of 95. They've now brought in Otani and Rendon to team with Albert Pujols until recently, but You know, we always said, what's their middle infield situation? Who are their back-end starting rotation guys? Aha! Remember the taste the soup joke Eddie Murphy told in Coming to America? You listening? A man goes into a restaurant. He sits down. He's having a bowl of soup. He says to the waiter, waiter, come, taste the soup. Waiter says, is there something wrong with the soup? He says, taste the soup. He says, is there something wrong with the soup? Is the soup too hot? He says, will you taste the soup? It's wrong. Is the soup too cold? Will you just taste the soup? All right, I'll taste the soup. Where's the spoon? Aha! Aha! What do you know from funny, you bastard? Yes, basically that is what I'm going for here. The Mets do have spoons. They do have the necessary cutlery and other accoutrement. For example, Chris Bassett. As your number three starter gets elevated to number two until DeGrom comes back and joins the picnic. And here's an example of what we're talking about from just yesterday. Brandon Nimmo scratched from the starting lineup with a stiff neck. All right. Mark Canna moves to center. Marte is in right. You play Jeff McNeil in left. You have the necessary depth to mix and match when needed. In that exhibition game, by the way, second to last one, McNeil had two hits leading off. Dom Smith, a three-run home run into the teeth of the wind down the right field line. He's now hitting 440 this spring. Met settled for a 3-3 tie with Houston when Adam Ottavino failed to hold a 3-2 lead in the ninth. Cookie Carrasco went the first four and a third. He allowed four hits, two runs, and a solid 5-1 strikeouts to walk thing happening. But back to Chris Bassett and the role he's going to fill. 32 years old last year, he posted a career-best strikeout-to-walk rate. And, you know, being a sinker-first kind of guy in this day and age, that's a little dicey. 
But that's been a winning formula for him, and it helps that he pounds the strike zone. Among starters with 150 or more innings last year, his 18% called strike rate was top 15. And to that, he added his highest swinging strike rate in a good long time. You look at his whiff percentage, you go back to 2018, it was 17%. Next year, it was 20 Then it was 23%. Last year, it was 24%. This past spring training, it's been 31%. A lot of that is his slider. He'd put that away after his Tommy John surgery in 2016. He's been slowly reintroducing that the last three years with a lot of bite, a lot of sweep. So uh, kind of learning some new things as he gets older. He's 33 now. Big guy, 6'5", 217. He is a gamer. I know we're all going to miss DeGrom these next few weeks, obviously, but It's useful to remember that just because Jake is the best pitcher on the planet, that hasn't always translated to winning baseball. The Mets have had weird issues scoring runs for him and protecting leads for him. Last year, the Mets were actually 11-4 in Jake's starts. That's better than the 28-36 that they were during his Cy Young seasons of 2018 and 19. Throw in what happened in 2020. The last four years, the Mets went to Grom's starts. They're 47-44. Point of reference in Tom Seaver's three Cy Young seasons, the Mets were 69 and 39. So, yeah, we're robbed of DeGrom's brilliance. I get it. Uh, we're not going to see him strike out 16 or pitch a no-hitter or whatever else he may have done this April and May. But for now, Scherzer and Bassett at the top of the rotation, pretty damn impressive. Let us meet Chris Bassett. A little back and forth with him last week in Port St. Lucie. Thought you'd like to hear what he sounds like, what he's all about. We will get into that scary line drive he took to the face last August. What a horrible thing that was. But let's back up, do a little origin story first. Bassett is from a 500-person town in Northeast Ohio called Clay, outside Toledo. So let's start there in snowy, tree-lined Clay, Ohio. Small town, a lot of fields, um, just country living. Um, Obviously close to Lake Erie, so a lot of of stuff in the lake, but uh, yeah. Um, grew up outdoors, so I, I have a big-time love for the outdoors. You know, people think Ohio, especially that part of Ohio, they're thinking it's only snow, you can't get outside. But uh, it, it, in a weird way, it almost challenges you, right? Like, you got to get out there and find cool stuff to do, even if it is 18 degrees and 20 inches of snow. Yeah, I would say uh, my dad always said... Uh, you can always put more clothes on, but when it's really, really hot, you can only take so many clothes off. So that was the, that was like the saying. So cold, cold don't really affect me. Um, if it's cold, uh, I'll put a couple extra layers yeah. on. T- tell me about Dad a little bit. Is he born and bred Toledo area too? Yeah. 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 And, and what was he into? Is he a baseball guy like you? Yeah, just all sports. Just uh, pushed me, my brother. But yeah, just. Growing up uh, near enough to Cleveland, tell me about that experience because obviously the Browns weren't winning much. The Indians started to win but could never quite get over the hump. Give me the, the heart and soul of what it's like to root for Cleveland teams. Oh, heartbreak all the time. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, I would say uh, just passionate. I mean, it's, just, it's, it's any fan base, honestly. But, um, yeah, Cleveland just... <laughs> used to misery a little bit yeah but uh the 90 indians were unbelievable to watch so that was a shining moment how often did you find yourself there or did you just watch on tv mostly tv um yeah i mean i'm two hours away from there so i'm 40 minutes from detroit so it's kind of closer closer to detroit but the yeah the 90s indians were were special did you have a guy were you a manny guy a tommy guy who were you 
I really like Kenny Lofton nice. just because, I mean, him stealing bases and all that stuff. But, I mean, Jim Tomey, you kidding me? Like, but, I mean, like, CC Sabathia, Cliff yeah. Lee, all those guys. Um, there's a massive list, No, you probably do the whole roster. Yeah, yeah. Bad, but, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, the whole entire team was just, like, what position and then your favorite guy from that position. So, because I'm a radio honk, were you a Tom Hamilton guy? Would you listen on the oh, radio? Yeah. Still. Hamble's I think amazing. He, didn't he just retire? He's, he's talking about it, but not yeah, quite okay, yet. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. I, my, all my friends are big fans of his. I mean, his excitement is is contagious you're, you're gonna love howie rose in that regard here for sure so before i let you go just a couple things about your uh your, your actual pitching if you don't mind so obviously people always want to uh ask you i'm sure about the the scary moment of last year you seem like you're completely over it was there any uh i don't want to say ptsd that's kind of insensitive but i mean how long did it take for you to just kind of move on um I would say it was after surgery, more so moved on. And it wasn't so much, like, mental of, um, from a standpoint of, like, being scared or, like, um, shy of the moment. It was more so, uh, is the surgery going to be good enough for me to be able to come back mm. and actually do this? So um, it wasn't so much anything in my hands or my head. It was more so in a doctor's hands and saying, can you do this? Yeah. So, I mean, I was a little messed up, um, obviously. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, luckily I... Uh, Lord willing, the, the the doctors fixed me up right, and I'm good to go. You were so zen that whole time, it seemed. I mean, just watching from afar when you came back, and your teammates couldn't believe you were in such great spirits. What is it in you that, that makes you able to, to deal with something like that? Yeah, I don't, I don't over, try to overthink anything. Um, if something gets thrown at me, I just say, all right, it's just something we got to deal with. I mean, thinking negatively on it or... Um, letting that kind of like ruin your day what's the point i mean um i never really thought something just was like upset or worried about something and it helped out so i just try to kind of take whatever's thrown at me and just try to make the best of it appreciate chris bassett and yeah the, the mets three aces three very distinct personalities to grom the aw shuck simple man soft-spoken well-versed in the art of whatever Scherzer, the high-throttle, wide-eyed, intense, well-spoken alpha who led the Players' Union last month, always has something interesting to say. Then there's Bassett, who's more of an everyman with a dry sense of humor and a guy who pitches with a certain off-brand kind of funk. And it kind of starts with a delivery where he, he's very deceptive. He fires that left arm at the hitter very exaggeratedly. It's a deception that really works the way he changes speeds, 96-mile-an-hour fastball down to a 69-mile-an-hour curve. But... He's also got kind of a left-hander's personality and a right-hander's body. He's quirky. He's funny. He's quick with a, a verbal jab. He's quick with a joker to light up your smoke, as Billy Joel's lyric would have us believe. Uh, our old friend Jerry Blevins played with Bassett in Oakland, and he said Chris's personality is perfect for New York, where the environment can sometimes get heavy. Chris Bassett will keep it light, but he'll get on guys if necessary. Doesn't need to be that guy with Scherzer around, but he's not afraid to stand up if somebody's not pulling their weight. So until DeGrom and Scherzer are ready, Bassett becomes the bell of the ball in this Mets rotation. Okay, next up, our continued run through the wind beneath the wings, guys. We will have a sit-down with GM Billy Epler tomorrow so you can get to know him better. But what about Billy's able assistants? Bryn Alderson, yeah, is Sandy's son. And don't think that's not a 100-pound weight he lugs around with him every day. It's not easy being the son of a legend and the son of the boss and try to carve your own path all the while. 
Brent Alderson has done that, though. He's well-spoken, well-respected, willing to sit down with me, so I give him credit for that. Uh, here we go. Here's the chat that we have with Brent. We've been talking with a lot of the assistant general managers, all of them super qualified, working with Billy Epler, and Brent Alderson has a chance to catch up with us right now, or actually, uh, we have a chance to catch up with him. He's the busy guy. And we're chatting during spring training, Brent. The... Uh, <laughs> I'm always really entertained, I guess is the word, with how many moving parts there are. All you guys do so many different things. If you had, I mean, if you met somebody at a cocktail party, what would you tell them your job is? Well, I uh, I work in uh, evaluation and player personnel, uh, which is dealing with players, professional players. I have a background in, in scouting, um, and I help bring try to bring the best players into the organization to help support the big league club as well as just help Billy uh, with anything he needs. I would totally keep talking to you at a cocktail party after that explanation. So the uh, you, know, you look at last year's bench mob, for example. Do you get a particular smile, joy, knowing that a Pilar, a VR, you know, those guys that were brought in kind of towards the end and very under the radar end up being a big deal? Yes, I do. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's really a team effort to try to try to create as much quality depth as we can. I think last year uh, we didn't expect to have to use so much all at once, uh, but yeah, when you when you see Jose Peraza um, and even even uh, claims and trades like Billy McKinney come in mm-hmm. and help keep the big league club afloat um, through the rash of injuries. Uh, yeah, it's fun to see it actually um, take a place on the big league diamond and uh, and help us help us along the way. How much of it, Bryn, is kind of playing like a human stock market where you were looking for not only past performance years and years ago leading up to now, but just taking a look at a, a short sample like, okay, maybe this guy's found something and he's different now. Yeah, you know when we when we canvass uh, the universe of players in, in minor league free agency, uh, we look at a number of things that uh, you know about players. Certainly, past performance. Um, if there's been a history of, of, of uh, success in the big leagues, uh, but also things like remaining options and years of service, uh, as we try to fill out the the AAA team. Uh, that that will inevitably play some part in in supporting the big club. Uh, so yeah, I mean it. You know, when you look at you, you got to look at a number of things. Uh, you know, if a player has a remaining option, you can you can use them. You can call them up and send them back down, and it it it, it creates a different type of profile uh, that that can support you know that big league club. You mentioned AAA, and that's another thing that's always kind of turned my head. I remember the Red Sox, this is years ago, they had a run of 28 out of 29 years where their AAA team had a losing record. And their whole way of explaining that was, well, you know, it's a farm system. We pluck what we need, and who cares what's left there in Pawtucket. And then finally they started to realize we're creating a losing culture. These guys get here, and they're used to losing. So how sensitive are you guys to making sure that there is that not just quality depth to help at the big league level right now, but when those guys come up, they're used to being on a winner. Yeah, we definitely want to win at every level and create uh, a winning culture. Uh, and it, you know, it depends year to year. You have to, you have different uh, internal players. Uh, 
you know, this year Mark Vientos is going to start the year at AAA most likely. Uh, and, you know, we obviously have to prioritize his at-bats. Um, we traded for Khalil Lee. Um, we signed Nick Plummer to a major league deal. Uh, and so, you know, you have to surround those players and others um, with quality major league depth. And you always want to win at every level. And it's important for us to win in AAA. Uh, but you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to use players in the major league level uh, at different times of the year. And it's, you know, it's a juggle yeah. sometimes yeah. because, you, 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 you know, you have to create the depth, uh, but you have to also be able to deal with injuries. That's why versatility is something we, we really value. Um, and again, those options and, and, you know, different ways to remain flexible mm -hmm. uh, with that with that group, but also maintain the quality that can help us win at the major league level. Now the fun part of this conversation, I want to get to your backstory a little bit. And I, I've always pictured you, you know, in my profession, it's Joe Buck. Joe was a guy who grew up with a famous dad who was really good at what he did. And when he first got to the network level, people were like, oh, well, Joe Buck only got this job because he's Jack Buck's kid. Then it turns out Joe Buck is really freaking good at what he does. So that's always reminded me of you because, in a way, the, the Alderson name has got to be a bit of an albatross, right? Because people, you know, go that wink, wink, oh, he's here because. But then they get to know you, and it's like, well, wait a minute. This guy, like, really knows his stuff. So how do you reconcile all that? Well, I appreciate you saying that. I don't know if I'm... I'm uh, as good as Joe Buck, but um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it, it's it's always been a, uh, I guess, it, yeah, it's it's a, obviously it's a blessing. I had a really unique and and very fortunate childhood to be be around the game and, and grow up in the game. Uh, I've been lucky to be around great people uh, from the beginning. I, I started, uh, I graduated from Dartmouth in 20, uh, 2003, and I started working for the Oakland A's. And I was very lucky to be around guys like Billy Bean and David Forrest and Dan Feinstein. And, um, but I, I, I started scouting in, in 2006. Uh, I felt like that was a really important thing for me um, to give me confidence in, in uh, you know, uh, a transferable skill that, that right. I could really build on. And, um, and, and then coming to the Mets in, in 2012, um, Really lucky uh, to work with people like J.P. Ricciardi and, and Jim Deloya um, and others. And uh, I've been lucky to be around great people. Um, but, yeah, I, I uh, you know, I just have a, I, I've, I've been lucky in my life and, and I've tried to make, you know, take advantage. Why do you think you gravitated to scouting as opposed to anything else since you were around baseball all the time? What, what was it about scouting that really grabbed you? Well, I, I think I, I grew up sort of underappreciating the depth of, of baseball, uh, the minor leagues, um, the amateur side of scouting, uh, how difficult the game really is. Um, I, I grew up watching the, the highest level, like a lot of us do. Um, but, you know, it was, it was really understanding. Uh, I, wanted, I wanted to be able to evaluate a player. Uh, and... and it's a challenge to, to do that. And, uh, you know, I, I, I got the bug. And once, once I, I, I started scouting, um, I really enjoyed it. And uh, I haven't really looked back. Last one for you. The, the synthesis between uh, 
just your own eyeballs and the spreadsheets. That's always such a fascinating ratio. I mean, is it supposed to be 50-50, 90-10, 10-90, whatever? Um, but you're so uniquely positioned because you've got the Dartmouth education. I mean, you're a bright guy. But like you say, you've also been around the game and around scouts. You know what to look for physically and body language, all of that. So have you developed in your own mind what is a good ratio for how much should we be looking at uh, performance only and how much are we be looking at numbers sure yeah I, you know i think each each evaluator sort of has a different philosophy of of doing background on the players uh whom they're evaluating uh before or after they they see the players but yeah you you inevitably can see um uh you can see if if a guy has a low strikeout rate you'll see him make a lot of contact in in the ballpark and foul off tough pitches uh if a guy walks a lot he's going to take uh you know difficult pitches behind in the count uh, to extend the at bat, um, it, yeah. So there are definitely it, it's fun to sort of sort of look at look at some of the numbers, and and you really start to build confidence when you can start to see some of those things in person. Uh, it's a balance, um, but I think it's 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 really nice um, to isolate sort of the game without the numbers at times and challenge yourself to really really see. And and the lower down you go, I've, I've never been, uh, uh, I've never had much experience on the amateur side. Mm-hmm. It's one thing I wish I had experience mm-hmm. in. Um, but you know, the lower levels you go, um, it, it, it's, it's, there, there isn't as much of a track record and it's really a, a challenge. I've, I've missed on many, many players in, in, in uh, instructional league and, and other things, but, but you learn. And, yeah. and that's, that's the, that's, that's really the benefit of, of, of experience. Right. And, so. Well, Mets fans, very happy to have you here. You're part of a dream team. Appreciate all you guys. Thanks for your time, Brent. Well, I really appreciate you having me. Thanks very much. Brent Alderson, Ian Levin, Ben Zosmer, John Ricco, on and on. There's just so many big brains in the Mets front office under Sandy and uh, under Billy Epler. Thanks to Brent for his time. And next, another big brain. One last roll through the Bill James 2022 handbook to tell you some pitching notes that jumped out at me next. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So Bill James did a thing on pitch mixes in this year's annual. And in terms of simply how many different offerings can you get out of one man's arm, He points out that maybe the best Met we ever saw in terms of mixing up his stuff, believe it or not, was Sean Markham, a junk baller of the absolute highest order. Didn't make him good. In fact, he was 1-10 in as a Met. But Bill James tracks something he calls the pitch mix index. So if you're through all fastballs that do the exact same thing all the time, that's an index of 1. Edwin Diaz comes close to that. 1.97 is how they've got him tracked. 62% fastball, 38% slider. Very low pitch mix index. Marcus Stroman was a guy with a very high pitch mix index, 4.3, because he successfully mixed five different pitches. And now here comes Max Scherzer with a 4.52. That is astronomical. 47% fastball, 19% slider, 15% change, 
9% cut or 10% curves, like an artist going to a palette of a whole bunch of colors. That's almost you Darvish-like. Darvish is a 4.7 since he actually throws six different pitches. So if Sean Markham had talent, he'd have been Max Scherzer in this regard. couple notes from the Mets' bullpen last year. Seth Lugo actually allowed seven of 12 inherited runners to score. Drew Smith just won of 11. I would not have guessed that. Aaron Loop did not grade out as well as you might have thought with inherited runners. 16 out of 48 is 33%, but his opponent OPS was incredible, 506. And of course, his ERA was 101. He is now in Anaheim. Finally, a note on pitchers hitting, something we will not see anymore thanks to the DH. Uh, I know, we're going to miss DeGrom's bat. He was the only pitcher with at least 10 plate appearances last year who hit above 300. In fact, his 758 OPS led all pitchers as well by a bunch. But Max Scherzer was 0 for 59 last year. Most hitless at bats for any player in a season since Bob Buell went 0 for 70 for the Braves and Cubs in 1962. I'm okay with the universal DH. Well, we really miss the Cubs' Alec Mills being 1 for 32 with 26 punchouts? I don't think so. I get the counter-argument. If Alec Mills had hit a long home run, Chicago would have gone berserk like we all did when Bartolo went deep in San Diego. But overall... Pitchers hit 110 last year. That is a game time, not a batting average. I am fine with DHs. Feel free to hate if you must. If you hate or love, we hope it's love, hit me up with comments at Josh Lewin Stuff on Twitter. And please, if you haven't already, you can subscribe to Mets in the Morning. Tell all your friends and workplace associates to do the same. Tomorrow, Billy Epler joins the show. We'll begin our breakdown of the opening day roster as well. But now, the end is near. And the Mets in the Morning House Band plays us off. The keyboardist, Lou Thornton. Slapping to bass, Robinson Chirinos. The horn section, Jamie Callahan. And with the downbeat on the drums, ladies and gentlemen, George Theodore. This is Josh Lewin. Take it easy. Appreciate your time. We call it Mets in the Morning. We'll do it again tomorrow.